Tune in weekly and listen to the Collateral Damage podcast, where Michael Wilson and Maureen Kavanaugh host a variety of special guests to discuss topics and available services that will help you learn about the impact that substance use has on our lives, our families, and on our communities nationwide. Episodes and listening information can be found at www.cdpodcast.com. You can also search for Collateral Damage Podcast on your favorite listening platforms or watch previous and future episodes on YouTube. Don't forget to subscribe and share. And now, please enjoy part two of our special two-part episode. So you are, you're a poet. I'm a poet. You're a poet. Like, then he knows it. I couldn't resist. <laughs> so the mom joke, a mom joke. Yeah. <laughs> I, I get it. Yeah. So did, I mean, was, was that so, was that before when you were active? Was that also happening, or is this something that like so this recovery is like, drew it out of you? I I was writing at a young age, so okay. like I grew up in a broken home, and at that point in time, like for some reason, poetry just like stood out to me, like when I was a young kid. Mm-hmm. And uh, I like just like the metaphor similes. You can write a piece that has a different meaning that you know what the meaning is that the reader might not, or they mm-hmm. can interpret it in whatever way that they could. So I wrote a lot when I was younger. And then in like the early stages of my addiction, I still wrote. And then at one point I was trying to be a rapper because mm-hmm. I thought I was gonna be the Tony Montana, the Oxycontin game. Mm-hmm which was delusional because I was a monkey that sold bananas and uh, not really a good one at that. But um, so writing was just something that I had done. Mm -hmm. Like I have notebooks. I have notebooks from when I was like 17, 18. I have notebooks from when I was in detox uh, for one of the first times. And I struggled so bad with calling myself an addict Mm -hmm. because I was in there for Oxycontin and all these other people were in there for heroin. And I was like, I'm better better than you. I'm never going to be like you. This just got out of hand. I will never be an IV heroin addict because uh-huh. like that word, you know, Oxycontin, right? Mm-hmm. The stigma isn't there. Mm-hmm. It's not as bad of a word. I got my education from my friends right. that were like, yo, oh, this is like taking a few perks. Oh, it's yeah. going to make you feel good. Heroin was the filthy, dirty word. You know, heroin was for the people who couldn't handle oxygen. Yeah, they couldn't, couldn't afford it. it. Couldn't afford it. Yeah, exactly. And I used to say, so I was like, uh, uh, my Oxycontin use got me to do some bad things. And I used to be a stick up kid. And I used to claim that I would always, I would rather rob people, stores, whatever, before I ever did heroin. Right. And obviously that didn't happen. I ended up progressing, whatever. But um, I still have notebooks from when I was in detox. When I got real bad on the needle, I stopped writing. Because mm-hmm. I didn't, I was useless. Mm-hmm. I was pretty useless. On Oxys, I still had some energy a little bit. <laughs> it's once true. I, I mean, once I do... progressed to heroin, I was it. I was just completely useless. I was, I didn't shower. I didn't brush my teeth. I wore the same clothes. I would ruin absolutely every spot that I lived at. Cause I was that couch hopper that mm-hmm. at one point, like I got into it at a young age. So I still had like a large group of people that like knew I was struggling, but would still give me the benefit of the doubt. So I'd hop on a couch all of a sudden needles were being found in the cushion or they walk in the back, the kid would walk in on me shooting up. Like, so I quickly burnt these bridges until I ended up with like no money, no clothes. And, um, you know, I, I hit a I just hit my, my bottom, the, mm-hmm. the place where I was just fed up. Like I was trying to, to get high, to not wake up. And thank God, like I shot heroin and not fentanyl. Like the stuff that's out there today, because right. I probably wouldn't be sitting in the seat right now no. if that's what was going on back then. Um, but for me, when I got clean, I was in this this program called the Hamilton House, mm-hmm. and you were either paroled to this place or that that was like your last 
ditch effort before you went to gym. Mm -hmm. So there were guys that were like six, five, just did a 10 year bid coming in the house jacked. Right. And I'm 21. I am a hundred, I don't know, anywhere from 130 to 150 pounds soaking wet. All the confidence that the drug gave me where I yeah. thought I was this bad drug dealer, stick up kid. I had this street rep that I like clung to when I was younger. Mm -hmm out the window because now I'm just this insecure, scared little boy mm -hmm. that like I don't communicate well. Like I really, on a personal level, I don't communicate my emotions, what I'm going through, and my struggles. Right. So I couldn't go to the 6'5", you know, monster of a man mm -hmm. being like, buddy, I'm having a bad day. Like you want to talk about it? <laughs> I mean, you could. I could have. Yeah. It was really, it was like the, I was crippled with fear over things like right. that. And, um, we ended up getting notebooks for, for a group that we would do. We would do a group every day, six to seven. And not that I, I always paid attention in those groups, but uh, what I did do is I had my notebook and I would just sit down and I would, I would just, I started writing again mm -hmm. and it was trash, but it, it felt good just to get the things out there. Right. And I was, I was in such a bad situation with like my family at the time that it was easy to like apologize to them without actually gaining the courage to like, mm -hmm you know, dad, I'm sorry I stole this from you. Or I lied to you. Mom, I'm sorry that like this had happened or I, you know, right. whatever the case is, it was easier for me to put it on a piece of paper and just write it out until I built the confidence to, to actually do it or to actually like, you know, eventually like I stopped apologizing because apologies were so empty because they were always right. attached to some sort of conditions for me. Mm -hmm. So like I went to, I told him like my footwork was going to be my biggest apology. I was going to put the action in. I wasn't going to, you know, try to get out of this or borrow this or, mm -hmm. or, or lie for that. But um, like the poetry was, was really like you, you could catch me on the train, taking the train to work and I'd have a notebook with me. Really? Yeah. I, I actually lost one working in Harvard and I'm really pissed because I felt like there was some good stuff in there. Not that I have any recollection of what I wrote, <laughs> but like I would sit at lunch and I would write. Then I would sit on the train and I would write. When I got my first, I got a Blackberry, which I thought I was like, you know, awesome mm -hmm. to have something I could At the time me. you probably were. Probably I, felt like one, yeah. it, I felt like it. It was early recovery and I got this little Blackberry. So I used to just sit on the train and just write poems. And I've been doing that now, you know, since I got clean. So for 13 years and um, it's like a timeline of the struggles. Mm -hmm. Um, it, it shows that the ebbs and flows of my life. It shows like some of the darkest times, like relationship struggles. And it's not just with recovery and what's funny. So like poetry springboarded me to get clean and, and was a huge therapeutic tool. Then I resented being called a recovery poet, even mm -hmm. though like the majority of the stuff I wrote was that, but I can write about love relationships, my kids, mm -hmm. just what goes on in the world. Um, I used to hate when people call me a recovery poet. Like resents. They put you in a box. Yeah, they, they, <laughs> they stuck a stereotype on me and they trapped me in this box yeah. and I hated it. And because um, I like, I would do recovery events, but like, you know, the fellowship for you, for me, it turned into like open mics, mm. performing. So like the creative arts gave me exactly what you got out of the fellowship. Mm -hmm. I was around creative people. It gave me a spot that I could express myself. I built these connections. And like this, there's this feeling that I get when I perform a piece on stage mm -hmm. that like, is a freeing feeling. You know what I mean? Like it helped build up my confidence, my self-esteem. It gave me a voice, a confident one at that. Hmm. Where like when I was younger, the drugs gave me all the confidence. When I was when I was sniffing OCs, if Mike Tyson wanted to fight, I thought I could take him. Sure. The hottest girl in class, yeah. I'm gonna go hit on her. Yeah. Cause like I had that confidence now. 
the most confidence. The so most. Opiates give you the most yeah. confidence. Yeah. So now, you know, going through early recovery in a halfway house, then moving to a sober house, just being around different people like that I, you know, at, at times I didn't feel comfortable with, mm-hmm. um, just expressing myself, getting into like the scene of, of Boston's poetry scene. I was never judged for being an addict. And I was kind of like an outcast in that, in the sense of like, um, it, there's a different, um, it's like, there's not many addicts, first off. Mm-hmm. There's not many people that get on stage and talk about poems where they're shooting heroin and smoking crack and right. stealing. So that was one, you know. I'm kind of surprised to hear that, I guess. There, there's been more. Yeah. There's been more in recent time, but when I first. pain and acts. Like, exactly. That's, that's, so that's, I, I that's what it is. So a lot of times, like, the spots I would go to, I might have been the only white person there. Okay. And there's a lot of like, uh, I don't, I forget the acronym, but there's like a lot of lesbians and, and mm-hmm. gays because again, it's rooted in pain. Right. Like poetry is rooted True. in pain. And they've had their own struggles trying to find their name, find mm-hmm. their place. They've been separated from, you know, certain people who have their beliefs. And like, it was a community that like brought me in mm-hmm. and like being around those creative people it like pushed, it pushed my skill level. Wow. You know what I mean? And ultimately, I ended up traveling like the country doing these things. So I'd do the recovery thing. And then like I'd host an open mic. I started hosting hip hop events. Mm-hmm. Like the arts music scene of Boston really was like just something that, that I thrived in, that I enjoyed. I enjoyed connecting with, with people. I enjoyed hearing somebody's piece and then going home for a couple hours. And like, I got to write one better than him. <laughs> so I'm going to come back and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to crush him in a poetry slam at the Lizard yeah. Lounge on a Sunday night. That's awesome. And uh, it, it, it was like, it was really just what a way like, to get pulled into a new community. Yeah. To feel like yeah. You belong and, again, right? and I didn't know anybody. And I went by myself to most of these things. Mm-hmm. Like the first, the first time I ever, I ever shared on an open mic, which we're going to hear some poetry from you uh, later today. Yeah, there's going to be something. But <laughs> the first time I ever performed, I had a piece of paper in front of my face. I read through the piece of paper into a microphone yeah. in front of four people. Yeah. Terrified. <laughs> Absolutely terrified. Shaking. Yeah. The first yeah. time I ever like, shared it to somebody outside of like like the friends that i had that Mm -hmm. i I used to talk their ear till it bled Mm -hmm. over like yo you gotta hear this like i just wrote this nice piece tell Mm -hmm. me what you think because you're exposed uh, you're exposed when you do that without any of that protection it's like all this stuff that's going on in your head is out there yeah and i put i I was a very personal writer and a lot of like parents enjoy my writing because it gives like a first person perspective of like what their kids going through. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like they are, like I talk about the struggles of like I want to get clean, but I want to get high. Mm-hmm. You know, just when I was in those different different periods of time that like it's not on a mother, it's not on a father for it. It's like this internal struggle that we deal with. Mm-hmm. And then we 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 tug on the heartstrings of everybody close to us to manipulate them for whatever we need. Right. And um you know but but with the poetry, it gave me the voice. It gave me the platform. Give you a tribe, man. Yeah, and give you a tribe to to connect to. Exactly, and in turn, like I've seen a lot of other people in recovery that were like, "Oh, I write, but I never like shared it." Mm-hmm. And and it's cool to hear that, like I helped them gain confidence to get it out there. Right. You know what I mean? To like step outside of those, like you know, the 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 comfort zone to try to grow as a person. Mm-hmm. And that's really what poetry did. And ultimately, like in September the first time I performed was in front of four people reading through a piece of paper in September. Thanks to Maureen. Maureen got me on stage to what? How many people were at, were at recovery fest? I think 8,000. 
8,000. Yeah. I've heard high numbers. I've heard, yeah, I've heard, you know, heard 10,000 yeah. people. Who, all I know awesome. is you there was awesome. an entire flood of people. And to, like I have this call and response piece uh, called Miracle where mm -hmm. I get the crowd to chant Miracle mm -hmm. and have 8,000 people say Miracle on cue. That's big stuff. And I, I'm like, I usually have a straight face yeah. and I try to like, I try to, uh, emphasize the pain in my voice mm -hmm. and I'm on stage cheesing. Yeah. <laughs> I, I could not, I was so happy. I, I remember backstage, I got a text that they're like, yo, they're chanting your name. Mm -hmm. Like there was a lot of people from Massachusetts that came. Like it was one of the, like right. I've been, I've grinded whether it was working and helping people, whether it was poetry, like I've busted my ass and like, just like with sharing my, my story with recovery, like poetry was a lot of, was a lot of times made a joke. Mm. Like I was made light of when I'd be like, Oh, I'm doing this open mic and trying mm -hmm. to share this poetry and coming from where I come from, like the group of kids I hung around with, a lot of them were like, you know, mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> your poet roses are red, yeah, yeah, yeah. And blue. Yeah. 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 That's exactly it. Yeah. Uh, but like they kind of, they kind of like crap, you know, took it as a joke. And mm -hmm. my father told me it was a waste of time that I need to just work and work mm -hmm. and work. And, um, you know, some other people that didn't want me sharing. It's hard for people to support the arts. They yeah. want to see you make a living. Yeah, exactly. Yourself, but the exactly. arts is really the, that's that thing, man. That's, that's everybody needs an art. But I'm not where I'm at if it wasn't for the poetry. If it wasn't for, for poetry, Banyan Treatment Center mm -hmm. wouldn't be in Massachusetts. That's your art too? That's yeah, no, absolutely. But it, it, it stems from like the days of, of building like a following to getting mm. people to relate to putting these words that I write when I'm alone that help me out mm -hmm. out into the world where other people can relate to them and take it however they want to take it. Right. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's really insane looking back that like I would write, you know, just by myself, mm -hmm. whatever I was going through, pain, anger, love, happiness, joy, gratitude, all the things and like it, it's gotten me to this point where I'm at today that like I'm I have a life I never pictured I have like I'm beyond grateful and uh it stems from like putting the drugs down mm -hmm. getting clean being in recovery and a lot of it has to do with like these little words that rhyme mm -hmm. right and like I'm beyond blessed like I'm beyond blessed to, to sit here with Maureen mm -hmm. and she's giving me credit when she's the one that puts all the hard work in <laughs> to help her get started. You know what I mean? Like I just try to support people. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I want to see everybody succeed. And uh, I, I genuinely do. Like even, even people from my past I had problems with, like I still want to see them. I still want to see them succeed. Like I, I, like life I took for granted for a long time and I didn't see like, the possibilities that we could have. Mm -hmm. And I had this like, you know, just this cage type of mentality, this, uh, you can't step outside a certain thing. You can't grow to a certain point. Mm -hmm. And I, I really believed that, that that was real for a long well, time. You did live in a box. Yeah. You, li you lived in a box that had limits yeah. and you were never going to get outside of those limits yeah. if things stayed the same way. So like you just mm -hmm. said, I mean, we talked earlier about who, who you were, or who I mm -hmm. was, but we were active. And that's not the same person today. No. And it's interesting because no. I know a lot of people who have only met me today. Yeah. Me you know, too. like, uh, I mean, and Maureen, you're one of right. them. You're yeah. one of them. Like, you don't know me. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I don't know you. When you were active, mm -hmm. I, I kind of do because I'm pretty sure we did the same yeah. stuff. But like, you know, the, the, the families and stuff that meet me, they only know this me. Yeah. 
Do you know what I mean? And so when I talk about the other me, they're like, oh, it couldn't have been that bad. I'm like, no, you just don't really know, <laughs> yeah, though. You know, like, that's it. We're like, well put together these days. Well, we, we also didn't have Facebook and social media. Like, if Thank we, God. Like, if we, had, <laughs> if we had the technology we oh had today, I'm pretty sure you'd be able to look back and be like, yes, oh, that's I get why. it. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, that you're, you're talking about, like, the kind of person you are today, mm-hmm. right? Like you're a good person, you're compassionate, you're empathetic, you have the ability to share, you have the courage to be open about what's happening mm-hmm. inside of you. Like that, that was always who you were. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? It was dampened by your addiction. It was, it was pushed down deep yeah. because you didn't know how to express it or you didn't know how to be you. And I guess that's the thing with everybody that's out there struggling with addiction is that they are, for the most part, amazing people, creative people, artistic Absolutely. people, you know, people who, if they were able to get clean, sober, build that foundation and then start their recovery process. Like there's just an amazing person and they're waiting yeah. to be seen and heard and talked to. And some of the most talented people that, that I've ever come across struggle with substance abuse, struggle right. with drugs. And you're talking, you know, another thing I, that correlates to me, like I don't have an education cause I was uh, doing oxys and shooting dope. Different kind of education. Yeah. So. Different education. But that education that I learned, like you can still, hustling to positive things. Like I know top real estate people that were drug addicts mm-hmm. and now they're multi-million dollar earners. I know car salesmen that like are the top of their, mm-hmm. their car company because like we have this work ethic mm-hmm. and you take right what it takes to get high every single day mm-hmm. yep. and take that same type of effort and to put it into something positive. There is that the possibilities are endless with what you can do with it. Right. You know, I have friends that own contracting business that develop mm-hmm. musicians actors comedians like you you put the drugs down like you can there's, there's so much more you can accomplish and and that's one of the things that i try to get through to people whether it's at my center or people mm-hmm. that i try to help out there is that they're made for something so much more than like a life of being homeless a drug addict or sitting at the end of the bar like drinking your life away like mm-hmm. you're meant for so much more if you can just like you know step outside of that box right. if you can step outside of that you know the normalcy that the chaos becomes you know what I mean? Like you, you, you literally could be anything in this mm-hmm. world. That's very true. You know, I work in a recovery high school and um, next year as part, part of their classes, I'm putting together like a business development um, mm-hmm. because they, I see this and I see it in, in you guys, of course. And I see mm-hmm. it in lots of other people that I know that had a really rough start and, mm-hmm. and turn it around and it becomes, mm-hmm. it, they, they take all that they all they did to maintain yeah. drugs or to sell drugs or to, to keep from, you know, being sick, that running, running, running and put it into business. And they're amazing at Rock what stars. they do. So I want to, I want to bring that into school before, and hopefully they don't have to go through all of that. Mm-hmm. But I see it with a couple of kids that are in there even now that they're like, you can, they, they're either going to go really bad or they're going to own their own business and be spectacular. Yeah. And I'd like to, have them be spectacular before they have to go through all that. <laughs> exactly. They just need an outlet. Yeah. They just right. need a place. Like they yeah. need to, that, that tribe thing I was talking about earlier. Yeah. Like when you, I got it in the fellowship, yeah. you got it from, uh, um, you know, the, the poetry environment mm-hmm. and all those other people where you shared pain and, you know, as parents and families, you get it from support groups and stuff like that. You get to tribe up. Mm-hmm. And when you do that and you realize you're not alone in this thing and all of a oh, sudden you incredible. start to just focus your efforts. I mean, people are capable of amazing right. things. Right, right. And not everybody needs to go to, you know, Harvard to do that. No. Right? I didn't go to Harvard. No, no. no. And I mean, you, you're two of the smartest guys I know. It just, it's it's not the same for everybody, you know? And I mean, not everybody, not, not everybody needs to do that. Yeah. No. 
You just so need to bring what you got to the table. Let's hear some poetry. Mm, yeah. Poetry. I yeah. noticed yeah. Mike's I not like here. Russian. I sat, I sat with Mike last week. It's gonna, I'm going to do a read through a hey. piece of paper to two people. Hey, that, that's all it is, man. Yep. Uh, but I sat with you last week mm -hmm. and you told me that you had some poetry. And then you're like, oh, if you come on a podcast, I'll share it. I'm like, all right, I'll be there Monday. Okay, put me let's right get this. There. <laughs> let's get this going right away. Yeah. Well, I've so seen a little. He sent me a little of it once, and it's good. Uh -huh. Oh, I bet. I yeah. bet. So, and that, so to, I haven't so read this it, is, This is the thing. <laughs> like, at my center, I do, like, a poetry group. Okay. And everybody's like, oh, no, like, it's, it's poetry, whatever. And then you hear the things that they write. Yeah. It's incredible. Right. Like, it, it is absolutely insane how talented people are but they just they, they haven't even explored it to the point i have a folder with just poems mm -hmm. of like former clients or i'll group them up and make them wow. all right together okay and like there's just like absolutely amazing things and it's one of those those forms of art that i, I feel like a lot of people will do mm -hmm. will write not necessarily share it though they'll mm -hmm. keep little maybe here and there they'll write a poem or something like that uh, for me, it's always in like the most excruciating pain that I'm going through mm -hmm. is when like the best. Comes my hands right are out. sweating. Are I haven't even nervous? done anything. Yeah, I'm nervous? just sitting in my thoughts right now, thinking about this. My wanna, hands are sweating. Do you want to go first? Do you want me I, to do I, something? I, I'll just I'll just do one. That's fine. I'll just do the thing. Okay. Um, <clears throat> let's see. Um, how about uh? All right, this one's called A Prayer, all right? Let's see if I'm uh, in the right spot here. So it says, why can't I see what I was meant to be? Why won't you say why you made me this way? If you wouldn't answer for someone with cancer, why would you listen to me? Help me be what I know I can be. Where are you now? What color is that cow? What number am I thinking? What soda am I drinking? I'm so full of doubt what you're all about. I can't understand why you don't lay a hand on someone like me to help me see and guide me through life, provide kids and a wife. It's so hard alone, show me a sign. Oh, you need a hand? Here, take mine. That's what I hear when I'm so full of fear. The voice isn't yours, burns and abhors. My mind and my soul tell me it's wrong, but my heart is torn and I hear this song. I follow his lead, but I beg and I bleed. I can't stand the pain, this life is insane. So please come and save me from, from you know who. I can't do it alone, not without you. I need you so bad for a life I never had. So come into my heart and take over your part. Give me the life I deserve. Amen. Get it. Yeah. One, down. Time ever. one down. First time ever. Boom. You did it. it out there. <laughs> I felt weird. It gets easier. <laughs> it, does, it does get easier. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, no, that was Thank really you. good. Thank you. All right. Want one more? Yes. One more, and then we'll, I want to hear one of yours, too. So this one is... Um, this one is called Better Off Alone. I can't, steal the f I can't stand the pain. My mind feels like pudding. I'm lost in the rain and I'm losing my footing. The ground's coming loose under my feet. My flagrant drug use pulling me down deep. Six feet away from my family and friends. Not even for fun, just a means to an end. No reason why I cheat and I lie. Just the way life is when you're ready to die. Nothing feels good unless you're high. Feels like no one cares and you don't know why. Every day feels the same when you're lost in the game, the struggle to get high and not ruin your name. Everyone you know can see it but you, the pain and the struggle that you're going through. They all want to help pull you out of your hole, but your mind feels like mud and your heart is like coal. Feelings feel fake, but they won't go away. They keep building up for that one special day when you're all out of drugs and you're looking for hugs and the people you've ignored have all turned away. You can't understand why no one takes your hand. They've all disappeared just as you feared. 
So why not get high, create a new lie? You don't need them anyway. You can make it another day. Doing what you do now, reality comes back. You make a new pact to never ask for help again, to live a life full of sin. Since no one will do what you want them to do when you want them to do it, so screw it. You do it better alone, no car, no home. Who are they to say that they know a better way? Why should I try to live out their lie since I do it better alone? Get it. How's it feel? That's it. Shaking? I felt, I felt good. No, the second one felt great. Uh-huh, That's, it. It. That's it. One more. I'm going to be in front of a crowd somewhere. Screaming. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. That feels good. Doesn't that feel good? It doesn't. That feels awesome. The second one, I, I started to feel it. That, yeah. that was good. I wasn't even looking at you guys. You weren't no, even here. Like, <laughs> I was yeah. just back when I was writing that. That was... Wait until you start getting the reactions from people and them saying, oh, it's amazing. Mm. Oh my God, that really hit home with me. Then it'll really, really feel good. I wrote that on a napkin. I was in an AA meeting at the Salvation Army, sitting in the back and and just feeling myself. And I had like, you know how a napkin comes folded into four squares? I broke that thing open and and with my little, you know, two inch pencil was just drawing, just writing this thing out. And it was, uh, I don't know. How good of a feeling was it when you finished? Reading it or writing it? Writing it. Both, writing, it writing it felt fantastic. And then I folded it up and put it away and nobody ever heard it. I didn't Until even read now. it to anybody there. Until like that was now. Well, the, the world whole- premiere. <laughs> 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 That's it. World premiere. Yeah. Exactly. So, awesome. Yeah, but it's, I don't know, it feels good. It feels good to talk about, you know, how it looked to me. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? And how it felt to me at the time, even if it doesn't make sense to anybody else. And I can imagine how it must have yeah. felt, you know, um, as that early in recovery reading that I'm, I'm, I'm nine plus years in yeah, and that yeah. was still making me uncomfortable. I couldn't no. imagine. Well, it's a, I mean, it took, it took a while for me to get out, mm-hmm. to get out into that scene. So when I started doing it, I did videos. Mm. So I'd have a video okay. of a poem. So I didn't have to, I'd speak it into a microphone by myself right. and put it up and it ended up, I have a couple of videos with over 20,000 views from wow. 2011. And then from there, What's funny is I had a friend that had some sort of connection with a publishing company. Mm-hmm. So they're like, oh, we're going to set you up with this meeting. We're going to get oh, you in there. Nice. So I sit down. They're like, oh, we really like your work. We're going to do it. So I signed this contract. Part of the contract was I had to, to perform mm-hmm. two different times. Mm-hmm. Me being a psychopath that I am, I'm like, well, I'm not going to do it the first time in front <laughs> of people. I need to practice because yeah. basketball, baseball, like if you're not practicing, mm-hmm. you're not going to be that good. So I started, I, I went to that open mic where I read through a piece of paper. And then I started doing it more and more and more. And uh, unfortunately, the book deal fell through. Oh, no. Very discouraging. Um, they, they kept me on the shelf for a while. And when I was getting high, right, I'll tell you a story. Uh, I smoked crack with this girl that swore to God she did a duet with Celine Dion. Okay. We're in the Mystic Project's hallway smoking crack. And you're, you, you didn't sing with Celine Dion, lady. Like, you're high. <laughs> right? And like, I shot dope with this kid who swore to God he was signed to Eminem's record label. We were mm-hmm. in an abandoned building in Cambridge mm-hmm. and the basement floor shooting heroin. And he signed to a rap deal. Not happy. No. no. So here I am clean at open mics talking mm. about how I got this book deal. And then mm. I was supposed to be on CNN at one point that I recorded oh. a poem and gave all the rights to the poem to CNN. I right. signed all these documents. Uh, it was this, this guy that interviewed me for a radio station in Florida was supposed to have int- uh, intro music. So mm-hmm. he, instead of intro music, he wanted my poem. Mm. Thing never aired. So here I am at these open mics. I'm starting yeah. to catch a, catch a little like following. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I got really discouraged. Was ready to tell quit. the stories. The stories. <laughs> these stories. And yeah. uh, fortunately, like one of my best friends believed in me when I was ready to quit, told me he refused to let me quit. And mm-hmm. 
that's how I put the shadow of an attic out. He, nice. he loaned me some money to, to, to get the first 500 copies. Mm-hmm. So 500 copies, yep. bought more, yep. sold more. <laughs> and here I am drug dealing books, yeah. meeting people for $15, sliding it out the window. Yeah. <laughs> but it was I cool. got you, bro. <laughs> yeah. But what was cool about that is I, I got to meet these people that followed me from all over the state. It's just like they saw my work oh, yeah. on Facebook. So I actually had the personal interaction. Got to give them the book. And then I also included, there's a page in it dedicated to like, people that were lost mm-hmm. and this the book was fin- finalized in 2012 so like i had fans that just like sent people or like friends that would give me names of people that passed away mm-hmm. and literature i feel like lasts forever mm-hmm. so you know it's like a little token of, of gratitude to the people that support me can people still buy it yeah yeah was uh, it available you got to reach out to my Facebook page right now. Okay. You can get the ebook on okay. like iTunes, Amazon and stuff like that. Okay. But any resale copy is ridiculous. I'm not charging $60 for mm-hmm. a beat up book, mm-hmm. but I guess people are finding them on eBay for like a lot <laughs> high. It's $15 if I meet you for it. Right. It's $20 if I got to mail it to you. Fair but if you, just, if you just look up Mac Ginn on the poet, shoot me a, a direct message. Um, you know, I can make the arrangements to, to ship them out. And I, I try to donate a bunch of them. I've sent mm-hmm. them to treatment centers. I have funny stories of like dropping people off to detox. I was at high point and one of the therapists came out and she had printed out copies of my poems. <laughs> and she's talking to me, wishing yeah. me good luck as I go into detox. Yeah, yeah. Right. As I'm with somebody I'm, I'm bringing, I'm like, Oh yeah. She's like, Oh, you ever heard of this kid Mac in him? I'm like, Oh yeah. What do you think of him? Yeah. <laughs> oh, his, his poetry is phenomenal. I just did a group on it. Oh yeah. I, yeah. That's that, great. That was me. You want some more books? I got them in the car. <laughs> and, um, That's huge. You know, it, it, it's just cool. I've, I've, moments like that have been pretty cool. That's awesome, you know? man. You want me to share a couple pieces? You I haven't heard anything it. from I, you. I have not You're yet. Not. I have not. not. No, this is all fresh for good, me, too. Good. Oh, really? So, uh, oh, wow. I'm going to share the broken system. So yes. when the bridge was closed down uh, and we saw the, the increase in overdoses since that time, I ended up writing this rant. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I was given the 2015 Recovery Advocate of the Year Award mm-hmm. in Massachusetts. Wow. And I'm pretty sure it stems a lot from this poem. Okay. Uh, Charlie Baker was doing his little town hall listening parties mm-hmm. or whatever. So at the state house, and I was just going to tell my story or what I saw, like, the, excuse me, the gaps in treatment where like, I feel like we have enough de- detox beds, CSS and halfway houses for longer treatment and guarantee a longer stay mm-hmm. in the short time. But, you know, advocacy nonsense. Something pissed me off during that. So I decided, you know what? I'm going to do the broken system in front of like, I don't know, 700 people. And they're staring <laughs> Charlie Baker down into his soul. Yeah. Knowing that like, if I screw up, I'm probably never ever performing ever again. I'm going to walk out tuck tail, which it happens from time to time. I have sure. a brain fart and forget words. I might, mm-hmm. I might forget this poem right now, <laughs> but uh, I did it. And uh, after it, I said, we are worth it. And everybody went absolutely crazy wow and uh that must have been nice yeah it was a it was a cool feeling and this is a, a it was a poem that i did at recovery fest too okay that uh it's just a rant really i've ran a lot mm-hmm. and uh this is you know one of the forms but uh when i got high it was to escape the pain of hurting explaining the addiction to a normal person is like a woman with no kids explaining the pain of birth let me break it down to you these four to five day spin washes aren't working we need to scrap the massachusetts model of treatment and come up with a better version because these suits and ties would rather close their curtains, ignoring the state's overdose rate is continuously surging. These politicians must be living in a fairy tale. At times trying to get into a detox like a dog chasing its own tail. The system is set up for us to fail to the point. Sometimes it's easier to go detox in jail. Call the programs up to here. 
We got no beds. Then when you do get into detox, they load you up with enough meds until the entire unit looks like a night of the living dead. A four to five day escape from the day to day, a safe place to stay. But there's no beds and aftercare program, so the decision gets made to hand you a list and send you on your way back to the same old same. If those four days, it's gonna fix the years of pain, years of strain, years of sniffing pills to push your poison in your veins. Addiction's like a ball and chain, a slave whenever it calls your name, weighing yourself down till they bury you in the grave. And then when you do hit the streets, further treatment is just out of reach. So you keep it dirty air, and instead of being clean, recovery's only seen in the better parts of your dreams. Living the nightmare, transforming into a fiend. And there's not a soul alive that can hear you scream. But you know what you need. Even though the sickness got a trick up its sleeve, it starts whispering in your ear till you start to believe that you've got a grip. You can handle your disease till I find your buddy dead with an empty IV. Another number. Another statistic added to thousands this year. One thing remains clear as I bury more and more of my peers than most people out there. Don't really care until it's one of their loved ones added to the prayers. A Facebook wall covered a Facebook wall covered with love. Ransom raised by we all hate this drug. I think it's getting a little too overcrowded up above. Heaven needs to start taking my people. The origins of this epidemic is secret. Pharmaceutical companies gave birth to a generation addicted to the needle. Legal drug dealer doctors influenced by money as pure Eve. Flood the streets of painkillers, then you pull them off the market. They make it easier to transition into heroin when the withdrawals hit the hardest. I don't even think we face the worst part of it. I sit here with a heavy soul, brokenhearted, Praying for the daily departing that those that are lost will find their light inside of the darkness. Coming out clean on the other side. I want to spark a rally and cry that might save a few lives. Every day another angel flies while well, an entire community mourns while saying their goodbyes. All I can do is try to prove to you that it's worth staying alive. Mm. I didn't have to follow it. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I, I offered you. Thank you for that. Thank right? you for that. <laughs> oh, that was great. So, you, so that was uh, so that was right to uh, that was to everybody at the state oh. house. That was yeah. That's like Man. one of my favorite pieces, just because it goes, you know, it's a lot of politicians will use the, the recovery thing as like a springboard to try to make it like they're gonna make some change. Mm -hmm. And uh, like unfortunately, Charlie Baker had all these things, and the first thing he did, and you know, what the first act he did when he stepped into office, I do not cut substance abuse funding. Ouch. After he did a whole tour of it, and yeah. I'm not going to go into a rant on political things, but he's not the only. There's other people that will emphasize addiction treatment, mm. and then all of a sudden on the back burner yeah. once they get elected. Right. And again, who are we to who speaks up? Mm -hmm. We're well, a we community yeah. that doesn't really have a voice. And even if you look at like public detox workers, program workers, they can't speak. Mm -hmm. They have like a muzzle over their mouth right. because mm -hmm. their job is at stake because they're publicly they're funding. funded. Yeah. Yep. So like they can't push against the system. Mm -hmm. Even and a lot of nonprofits. Nonprofits. They're getting, they're getting because, state funded because they're yeah. afraid they're going to get their funding cut. Exactly. So it's like for me, not just symbol, not the poem and what it symbolizes, but like in that period of time, there was a bunch of like different hearings at the state house that I would go to and mm -hmm. go on like these crazy rants to to state reps i did one where i think the rep was is there a rep for beverly salem a mm. female do you know i forget the girl's uh, name. lovely maybe jo yeah, jo jo lovely. Lovely. hey yeah. in 15 minutes we came up a list with like 50 people right wow. and again why i say heroin addict is that effect mm -hmm. i read off the 50 names one by one at a hearing mm -hmm. of people that me and the three people i was with came up with in like 15 minutes before i went up to speak Wow. And then I was like, how would you feel like if your son was on that list, if your daughter was on that list? Mm -hmm. Yet we're consistently put on the back burner 
Yeah. Yet Ebola affected what four people in the entire United States, and they got four to six billion dollars in funding. And they shut down flights in and out yeah. of the country yep. for yeah. days. Yeah. How many people died a year? What seventy-five thousand at this point? Eighty thousand? Do we even yep. know the real number? No, we know no, the, we, the, we the no we know idea. the number that people are reporting. I know Massachusetts mm -hmm. overdose death rates don't include Boston, Brockton, and Worcester. Really? Yeah, the major cities aren't included wow. in whatever their overdose statistics were. I didn't or know that, that. that was how it was one or two years ago. I don't know if that's changed since, but mm -hmm. like the major cities weren't included for some stupid reason. Well, how many people do you know that are in a nursing home or in a wheelchair or have how many brain injury? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Or they die driving behind the wheel and mm -hmm. it's right. an accident that they're not off at the wheel at. What about uh, endocarditis, diseases that come with it? Like mm -hmm. there's yep. so much more than just like oh, overdose yeah. death. Yep. So like, again, that poem was kind of like a smack Love it. in the head and mm -hmm. uh, I stayed I right really like that. That's good. <laughs> I would not let him look anywhere else. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> well, you could read that. You could read that or you could like, but I'm saying like, if I read that, mm -hmm. I'd be like, oh, that's nice. Yeah. But hearing it, yeah. is a duff, that's no. a different animal. You know what I mean? Like having that read to you or at you. That's a thing. Man. Yeah. I, I felt that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I felt like I felt like maybe I would have been uncomfortable if you were reading that to me, and I had anything to do with that decision or that industry because you, you're. I mean, you're well, able Charlie to. Charlie also has like an insurance background. Like he has other things that that are also like part of the issue that we face with trying to get treatment or help. You know. What yeah, I mean? the whole thing. I mean, the the broken system. I think is something we talk about all the mm -hmm. time, and and, and it's. Uh, you know, there's, there's advocates that are out there trying to create new bills and stuff like mm -hmm. that. There are local people, like you said, that, I mean, they, they probably as a person want to affect so much change, yeah. like they care. But it's hard for them because but then job. they get into the system and realize that what they're pushing against and that their job is at stake, yep. funding is at stake, their ability to no, do really, other things becomes really at hard. stake. And, and it's a, it's a machine, man. It is a oh, big machine. And it is slow as molasses. Right. When, whenever change is supposed to come, whenever a bill is supposed to be, put to the test then they make an announcement like hey this happened like uh what was it um not to wear the advocate hat right now but mm -hmm. the detox and css guarantee oh the parody thing 14 to 21 days was supposed yeah. to be guaranteed that, yeah that, yeah it's no. not a thing yeah, no, it's cool that? it's cool and it's great to do a publicity stunt where it's like this is going to happen mm -hmm. but on the fifth day when Insurance cuts you and there's no CSS, but sorry, buddy, see you later, you're out the door. Right. And yet there's nothing, there's no repercussions or anything. Insurance companies are denying it mm -hmm. and they're not being held accountable. You know what I mean? Like there's, there's so many levels to, to something as small as that, which I remember when it came out, it was supposed to be like a big victory mm -hmm. and no, no facility was held accountable for it. And, I, and there's also like when you have, you know, it's not the easiest to just enact something because you you're talking like people that write bills have never been to detox like they the are, most part, they yeah. are trying to dictate things that they have absolutely no clue about yeah. and you can take a couple of like select people and try to get there but like you you don't have that in-depth mm -hmm. that like somebody who's gone through the system somebody who works like it, it was always an issue with me like why wouldn't you pull somebody from boston cab that sees the ugliness of mm -hmm. it that sees the problems of like what's going on there to try to like fix it or do something to make a change that's going to benefit mm -hmm. and i've even tried to break down like the financial aspect of it we keep how many detoxes did you go to oh 15 yeah i i went to a crazy amount in the short amount of time mm -hmm. and if we guarantee or if we came up with enough treatment in the beginning mm -hmm. right where they got six nine months right right financially 
you know how many you know how much it costs to send somebody to six detoxes in a month That's every nuts. single month without further care so i try hitting them with that and it's like wow well, yeah that makes sense but you know whatever well you remember um senator tolman's heroin oxycontin commission yeah it was like eight or nine years yeah. ago whatever um, I went to the state house and I testified at that and, and I was one of the last people to get to speak. And, and it was all the insurance companies got to speak first and they were all talking about how, you know, their policies and why they bill what they bill and why they reimburse what they do and why they only want so many days. And it just kept going and going and going. I was one of the last people to come up and that's what I came up with. Yeah. And I came up and I'm like, listen, man, I was like, I'm just, I'm just a junkie. Sorry. Yeah. I called myself that, but it's it was true. I was like, I'm just this and I'm what just this person. Know? Right. And I'm like, you know, and, and I get it. I go into detox and it's like, the, the question is, how little can we give this person yeah. that maybe they'll get well? I said, however, if I was a doctor and I had a license that you could hold over my head, there'd be a mandatory 90 yep. days of treatment yep. as well as a ton of follow-up to make sure I get well so that I can get back to my job. Yeah. I'm like, so what you're saying is, is that I'm less valuable yeah. and that my recovery doesn't matter. Yeah. And I was like, it hurts. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. it hurts that you won't invest in my recovery and That's that your, your goal every day, every three to five days is to reevaluate my treatment so and see if you can get rid of me. Yep. So Yet how much when money, can we get rid of How him? much money would you save if in the beginning <clears throat> you just gave that length of treatment that's needed? Whatever. Whatever point that we can come up with, because like I don't believe any treatment center statistic of success rate. I only believe that the longer you stay in treatment, whether you're at the Salvation Army, the Ritz Carlton, the rehabs, the longer like you stick out a treatment plan, the better chance of success you have. That's the answer. Like, that's right the that right there. And then on top of it, financially, like how how much does detox cost that you're paying? Mm -hmm. over and over and over again yet not right. granting right. that middle ground right and then you get into the middle ground well how often are they getting cut or you're not giving them as many chances right compared to hey you're you're a heroin addict right mm -hmm. now the best possible plan for you would be a detox a css a halfway house a detox a 30-day program extended iop mm -hmm. recovery coach all these things as that much are, as we can as, come up with as much as possible in the, the, the initial stage mm -hmm. they'll be saving so much money on the back end right well, instead, it's a quick fix well it's countrywide like, statewide for every person that gets well and then comes back into the community they're business owners they're taxpayers yeah, exactly. they're contributing members of society do you know what i yeah. mean like they're they're not a burden to the community anymore yeah. they're actually adding to yeah. it so i mean if we're if we're investing in people to get them well and then they come back into our states, cities, and mm -hmm. communities. And they're contributing even yeah. more so to it. Yeah, you could mm -hmm. perpetuate wellness. Imagine mm -hmm. that. Oh my God. Well, that's not, that's not a priority. No. That's not a priority. And it's, that's why we all have to speak out. Mm -hmm. That's why parents have to continue to speak out. Yeah. Whether they're, you know, we have a lot of parents that are talking that are, uh, have lost children. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's amazing that those, these mm -hmm. people continue to continue Yeah, the courage to it takes to get, to, to but, go through that traumatizing. Right. And but then, we have, we have to have people that have children that are going through it and mm -hmm. loved ones that are going through it and those that recover. We have mm -hmm. to continue to speak out because that's where, that's where our power is, is in, in, in effect, trying to affect change mm -hmm. um, by, by telling people our stories and we can't leave it. The burden can't all be on the people that are going through it or the mm -hmm. people that have lost children. Yeah. There has to be no, other parents and other loved ones speaking out that have, that have seen this process. You know, I, it's funny. I well, it's not funny, and it's going to sound terrible. And I hate to, I hate to even bring this stuff up. But you know, the people who are making decisions about what we need for treatment, 
it's kind of like some of the other stuff that you might be seeing in the news today about like, you know, big rooms full of men making decisions about what women yeah, can do exactly. with their body and stuff. 100%. I'm like, yeah. I, I get it, but like maybe you're not the people you to make those decisions. And that's not the room full of people that should be making that no. decision. I feel the same way about my recovery. Mm-hmm. I feel the same way about folks like this is that, you know, I don't know who in an insurance company actually cares about the people they're insuring. Maybe they somebody does. Maybe they do. I don't know. But all I know is that I don't believe the disembodied insurance company with a psychiatrist over a phone should be making decisions and about how someone's treatment experience is going. Do you know how many insurance companies have been found to not have a doctor making the, the medical decisions that they have somebody paid at a lesser rate, though there's a license for it. Yeah. Somebody is a, a consultant, sure. right? But they have somebody paid at a much less rate that's mm-hmm. just going over keywords and that's making that decision. Mm-hmm. I've also heard that if you call that insurance company up and you call to get the tape on who go over it, who, mm-hmm. who actually went over it, that they ended up getting caught up in the fact that they had somebody <laughs> oh, no. trying to scam the system. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, like if we do insurance scam, we're yeah. going to federal prison. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's it funny how that works. It doesn't sound very... Um, ethical that the same company that's paying also has somebody assessing your treatment to determine if they should continue paying. Like I I think it should be the programs get to determine whether or not you should pay. And, but anyway, that's a, that's another podcast. Eventually what will happen is the uh, insurance companies will look at the return of investment, right? So they'll see that this is not working, but meanwhile, hundreds of thousands of people will die. Mm-hmm. But eventually they'll catch on that it makes more sense to keep somebody in treatment for a little mm-hmm. bit and our government will get catch on that it ma- it makes sense to support somebody in their recovery after they're done with treatment and mm-hmm. getting a job and getting housing and all those things but how many hundreds of thousands of people will have to die before before they which they, is insane even to think that the number of people dying that there's still a fight just to get the bare minimum of treatment I, compared to other diseases that that, because there's still um, that moral judgment. That, yeah. okay, think, think about this for a second. I had this conversation with my dad. We were smoking cigars yesterday mm-hmm. for Father's Day. And this came up, and he was talking about how many people are dying from it. And he mm-hmm. asked me, and I said, you know, personally, I'm like, if kids going to school are still going to school in fear of being shot, right? Uh, just, just to be clear. So mm-hmm. kids are dying in schools. Yeah. They're being shot in schools. It's happening all the time. There's mass mm-hmm. shootings all over the place. If that's not being addressed our kids getting shot yeah. at school is not getting addressed, then I have to believe that nobody's coming for us. No, not at all. <laughs> like not that, that there is no chance in hell that there is a movement from the government to come and help us. Yeah. Nobody's coming. No. It's up to us. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And that's why I'm so excited to meet people like you yeah. and Maureen, parents, advocates, individuals, people speaking up. It is up to us. Mm-hmm. Nobody is coming. Like there's not yeah. going to be, I'm not waiting for next, what, 2020 for the next new Larry person to come in and do the thing. <laughs> it's not happening. And it is going to take advocates. It's going to take us speaking up mm-hmm. to them, being as loud as we possibly can and speaking up to them so that they hear us mm-hmm. and your poetry and your voice. I, I don't know if I've ever actually sat down and had somebody read poetry, but yeah. that sounded more like music to me, to be yeah. honest with you. And I felt it and I heard it and I loved it. And I got to say, I'm like super happy that you were able to come on and grateful. And um, I know we have, um, we have, uh, we'll put up some links and stuff in the podcast to make sure that people can get that because now I'm going to read that after I read Maureen's book. Yeah. I got got two. (laughs) I know, I know. She she gave me the best description I've ever received. (laughs) Okay. 
a baby face tattooed thug that'll rob you and apologize while he's doing it. Oh, that sounds best. about right. Yeah, it was sounds the best. about right. I don't know if that, that's probably not worded right, but it's something close. <laughs> something along when I read lines. the book, I'll let you know. Yeah, if it you was let right. me know. <laughs> I will tell you this: there's not going to be another one of these podcasts where I haven't read that book. That's the last it. time I'm going to get. <laughs> it's, a, right? it's a really good read. It's anybody the last time anybody I'm that watches sure. this, like, you really need to go pick up the book. And that's um, the uh, "If You Love Me," mm-hmm. Mother's Journey. Right. I've had people yeah. that I haven't seen in a long time reach out to me that have read the book mm-hmm. just because I have a couple of blurbs in it. Very grateful for that. Nice. Um, Big part of my story. Amazing. And we need a, we need a, a movie. Yes. A movie I, I agree. Come. Who would play you? Who do you think should play you? Mark Wahlberg. Mark Wahlberg. Okay. Oh, that would be perfect. <laughs> <laughs> the only, no, no, I, I, I completely, the only way I'm not in that movie is if Mark is if Mark so either you Other, play you either I'm gonna because I'd want to play me yeah I mean yeah. I'd have to put a wig on because I had hair back then but I'd want to play me too <laughs> I, like I, to I don't think anyone can play me better than me <laughs> exactly right exactly especially under those circumstances yeah, plus yeah. he'd have to get all tatted up and stuff I, mean, yeah. I don't know if he would do that for a movie no, so I'll just play you know I'll just play my own okay all right deal deal <laughs> fantastic. All right. Well, thank you for joining us. Yeah, I no, appreciate thank, it. Thank Hopefully you guys we'll for be able to... I'm very grateful. Hopefully we can go. I'd love to get back on. I, I love going at these different topics. It's, I love it. You know, you're it's awesome. It gives perspective. And I think a lot of people don't even realize some of the things that go on. So getting that information and education out there, like, is huge. So, you know, it's been a pleasure. Thank well, you guys thank for having you. me on. Thank appreciate you, it. Keep, keep doing all the great things you're doing. I love you, Ma. <laughs> love you too, sweetheart. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I would like to thank all of our listeners for joining us today on this episode of Collateral Damage. As always, if you'd like to find out all of the different ways that you can listen to and subscribe to our podcast, you can visit our website, which is www.cdpodcast.com. There are many different ways to listen, download, and subscribe, so we encourage you to choose the one that is most appropriate for you. And as always, we would encourage our listeners to get informed and stay connected. Thank you for joining us.